Hey everyone, welcome. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up for this week. And this week is just a solo episode with me going a bit old school, if I can say that, because I'm going to get quite tactical today. I want this episode to be something that you can literally take take away, <laughs> take away, take your notes from this episode away and see how you are doing in your business, whatever stage you are at. And where I want to focus today is on sales because sales and revenue is the lifeblood of a business, no doubt. If profit is important, cash flow is king, you don't get those things unless you're selling stuff. And one of the things I found to be true across a lot of businesses that are going from startup to scale up is they're not as precise on their processes as they need to be. So over the last few weeks and months, I've talked a lot about how you create a high-value business. I've talked quite a lot about the sort of 30,000-foot view of what that looks like, certainly if a private equity firm, a financial buyer, or a strategic buyer like a corporate was going to come in and look at your business. But what I want to go through today is one of the key areas under customers and clients under this idea of customer capital so that as you are looking at your business and thinking, am I doing this the best I possibly can? Is this best practice? Is it best in class? You have a playbook, so to speak, to be able to assess where you currently are. And from that, you can start to make improvements and ways of optimizing your overall performance. Okay, so how's that sound? As I said, it's old school because this is how I started the podcast back in the day when it was just me and the microphone giving tips out there, just experiences that I've had. So I want to do a little bit of that today because I think the timing is right for it. So what are we focused on here? We are focused on sales, as I mentioned, and we are focused on customer or client experience. And I want to introduce what I call the 10 core processes for optimizing sales. And the way to think of this is the customer or client journey that you are creating for your ideal client so that they can find you, they can build a relationship with you, they can know, like, and trust you, and obviously eventually become a client and possibly a long-term client where they are, you know, working with you, buying from you, whatever that looks like over a extended period of time. So the 10 processes are quite straightforward, but I want you to think of them as being linear. And I also want you to think of them as compounding on each other. In other words, if one of the processes isn't locked down, it isn't good enough, it is absolutely jeopardizing sales. But more importantly that, it's compromising your brand. Because if a brand is a promise of consistency and you haven't got consistency all the way through your core sales processes and your client experience, that customer journey, then there's going to be a point where that person that you want to work with or have been working with is going to feel something is wrong, it is odd, it is out of kilter, okay? It is not, or it is, it is inconsistent, to use the word, and therefore there is something that potentially could have them detract from what you're trying to achieve, detract from your brand, okay? So let's go through them. The first one, the first core process that you have to have across sales and that customer journey is awareness, okay? So you need a core process around how you create awareness. The way to think of this, very, very simple, and sometimes it's interesting, even when I work with seven and eight figure businesses, they forget the basics, right? Sometimes it's the startups that get this stuff right. So it doesn't matter what stage you're at today, you know, think about these things and see where you're at. 
But if you're not doing things, if you're not creating processes and systems to create awareness of you, what your business does, then you don't have much chance of all the other parts of the sales process working. Okay, so what's interesting is a lot of people have their business built 100% or certainly 80, 90% on referrals. Okay, so they've, they've built a relationship with someone, a channel, a person, another business, whatever that is. And all of the business that they're getting, all of the revenue that's being created is from other people introducing people to them. Okay, now some people, that's all they do forever and they build great businesses. But if I was coming in to look at your business to acquire it, I'd be concerned by that because there isn't a predictable machine in there driving leads to conversion that means I have a feeling of certainty in the future that this business is going to continue to grow. Okay, so awareness, what does that look like? Well, firstly, remember, someone may not know who you are, what you do, why you exist. So you have to have various things happening, strategies and tactics aligned by those processes that make them aware. So what do I do, right? In my core business, my consultancy, my advisory business, I speak on stages, I speak at events, I go on other podcasts. Obviously, I have this podcast. I do stuff across social media channels, particularly LinkedIn. I attend events and I attend masterminds. In fact, if you looked at my travel schedule, I'm always on a plane. It's funny It's funny what happens actually when I go out there to these various events around the world, sometimes in Dubai, sometimes across the US, South Africa. I always grow my business, always. You know, the, the return on investment from that activity to build awareness, to present myself out there in the market is huge. But just because I'm doing that as a, a personal brand with a business attached to it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing similar things even if you have a brand, uh, a brand and a business which isn't necessarily, you know, uh, has a personality behind it, let's say. The same concept exists around awareness, okay? So once someone is aware of you, your ideal client or customer is aware of you because you're doing certain activities that drive that, the second core process is prospecting. So if awareness from the, some of the stuff I mentioned there is like a magnet drawing people towards you, certainly if if I go and speak on stage, as soon as I get off the stage, people come up and want to, want to understand what I said and learn from it. If that's what that is, prospecting is like going out and spearfishing, okay? If you've ever done that, um, not, most of you probably haven't. But the idea here is that you're going out there looking, you're hunting in many cases for sales. You're hunting for people that you can do business with. Now, I do quite a lot of what I call outbound prospecting on LinkedIn. I have it all automated. I suggest that you haven't got uh, automation set up on something like LinkedIn and that's a good channel for you to reach your ideal customers, then you should definitely be doing that. There are different systems. You can use different different technology, things like Meet Alfred or Dripify. There are so many of them now. But the point of that is I can automate outbound prospecting. My strategy there is to give value first, to be able to provide some value to help people. And really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm sense checking. I'm sense checking if someone out there, I'm reaching out en masse, it can be per week hundreds of different people, whether my ideal client, the person I want to work with is out there somewhere. Okay, so not only am I building awareness by by putting myself out there on social media, often on that same platform, I'm also prospecting, spearfishing, to use that terminology again, on that platform. So those two things compound. Okay, so it's Jay Abraham who first introduced me 
to the idea of compounding to create exponential growth. Definitely um, suggest that you go back and do a search of when I interviewed Jay Abraham, probably about two years ago now, but the, the, the podcast episode, the conversation is still relevant around this point of compounding. Okay, so that's two. So awareness is one, prospecting is two. The third core processes is what I just mentioned, actually. It's partnerships and referrals. Now, I haven't gone into um, advertising and all those sort of things yet because at this point, I'm going for low-hanging fruit, okay, right? So this is stuff that may take time but doesn't cost a lot of money. But you need a process, a system, definitely a strategy around partnerships. And the idea here is who is speaking to my ideal client or customer at mass, okay, where they have already spent time, money to build a relationship where I can be introduced into that network, okay? Now, much easier to go into a network where your ideal customer is already engaged and you're being edified by the person who's, who's done that engagement and built that community than trying to do it yourself. Now, my advice is you should do both. But if you want to go out there and, and win quickly and you haven't got a heap of money, having a system and a process around partnerships and referrals is definitely something you need to have. It just can't be all that you do. Okay, from my point before, it's got to be part of the bigger play. The way that you do this, of course, is you should look for commercial partnerships and commercial referrals. So when you're going out there, it's not just about someone, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, giving you a lead, a potential lead. You should think about how you recognize that. And I'm very big on, on commercial referrals. And people ask me all the time, well, what do you, how much do you give someone if they give you a lead that converts? Well, my view is the minimum is 10% of whatever that transaction was up to 20%. And what I found to be true is as much as 20% of that transaction value might seem high, the more that you do that, the more referrals you get. Mm, funny, right? <laughs> and the other way to think about referrals and a system around this is, yeah, you are paying for them. You're paying for them from that 10 to 20% of the transaction value of the closed lead that you've been given. But that is offset against what you would have to have done anyway with marketing activity to get a lead in the first place. Okay, the best thing about this is you're paying for that lead once it's converted, not paying for that lead before you've actually got any money in the bank. Okay, makes sense. So we've got awareness, we've got prospecting, we've got partnerships and referrals, and we've got, now we're moving into four, we've got leads. Okay, these are all systems that you need to have in place. Okay, so the fourth one is leads. It's how you get leads. It's importantly, it's how you nurture leads. Okay, so a lead in my mind, you've got a couple of different ways of defining this. You have a marketing qualified lead. That is when someone has taken an action from something you've put out there. So if I put out a survey or I put out an assessment or I get someone to ask for a download, sometimes on LinkedIn, I'll say, hey, who wants my new um, white paper on such and such? If someone says yes, and then they're prepared to give me their email address so that I can send them that assessment or that white paper or whatever it is, that's a marketing qualified lead. I've put something out there and someone has signaled that they want to start a relationship with me. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to buy anything, right? <laughs> Be very clear on this. Sometimes you've got to go out there and get heaps of leads and have a whole system for leads before you can actually get a sale. I've seen businesses where they have to get two, three, four hundred leads or something like that just to get a few closed sales. But the point here is a marketing qualified lead, someone has signaled that they want to begin that relationship with you. They're giving you something. They're giving you their information, their data in exchange for value. 
Okay. The other one here, which is interesting as well, is, and it kind of bridges into the fifth process, is a sales qualified lead. Okay. So if you've got activity which is driving leads, a process and a system around that, and you're measuring it through a CRM. I use a, um, a setup now called Go High Level. Now, there are, there's no better or best CRM, right? There isn't. It's the, it's the one you use that's the best, right? But you have to be able to track leads because it can get very, very overwhelming if you have a business that needs to have lots of leads coming through. And of course, you want to take those leads through to a conversion. You have to measure the various stage gates, okay? Now, how that works in my world is if you have a process for generating leads, you then have a process, which is, this is number five, for appointments and conversion. Okay, now sometimes you don't necessarily have an appointment. You might just be selling something online. So the conversion happens without anyone being involved in it. If you're selling bigger ticket items, there's usually a sales conversation that has to happen, right? Now, the way that you do that is that you you build up that relationship through nurturing the lead, okay? So you keep offering value. And th- until there's a point in time where that person that you want to work with wants to speak to speak with someone. And when they do that, they will they will book an appointment, okay? And you have to think here about, okay, what experience do you want these people to have through that? Okay, is it a sales conversation first or is it a discovery and then a sales conversation? But you want to think about this with quite a lot of intention because as soon as someone has had a conversation with someone in your team, a, a discovery or a sales conversation with someone in your team, that for me is a sales qualified lead. You know at that point in time if you can help them. You know at that point in time also whether this is going to turn into something and you can start to rank the likelihood of, of that prospect becoming someone you work with through your CRM and how you measure everything. Okay. Now in my world... I have someone who qualifies conversations first. And the reason for that is I get a lot of people wanting to work with me one-to-one and I only work with a limited number of people in that way. It's just the way my model works. A lot of people are not ready necessarily for the stuff that I do, but they might have heard me somewhere and want to work with me. And quite often I will refer those people off to to partners and other people I, I like in my network who I know can help them so that they still get served, but it's just not by me. Okay. Now, I have someone qualify all that first. And when someone, you know, is absolutely the sort of person that I can help and and would, would want to work with the, the model that I do, certainly about creating high value exits in their business, then they'll book a call with me. Okay. And then we have a whole process of we qualify and validate that. And then obviously we go into how we work in those things, but it's very, very well documented. Okay, so just to summarize, because we're halfway there, we have a process around generating awareness. We have a process around how we prospect, how we go out outbound to try and find ideal clients. We have a whole process around partnerships and referrals, and we have a whole process around leads and a whole process around conversations leading to a sales conversion. Okay, so those first five processes start with someone being unaware all the way through to someone becoming a customer or a client for the first time. Okay, so now that we have someone as a client, a lot of people stop here, by the way. <laughs> a lot of businesses go, ah, I've won the business, I've got the deal, I've rung the bell, right? And they don't think about anything else. But I think what happens after someone has said yes is one of the most crucial things that you can do in your business in terms of a sales process and that whole client customer journey. Because process six is onboarding, okay? And the thing I want you to think about here is how can you delight someone after they have made that commitment to you? 
Okay, so a lot of onboarding is about scheduling things. It's about contracting or invoicing, depending on what your business is. But how can you delight someone? Okay, and the reason I bring that up is I learned about a concept a number of years ago when I was um, working in a private equity business. And the concept was called moments that matter. And there are points when you're working with someone all the way through that experience where if you can really dial up the experience that that person has with you or that business has with you, they're going to remember it, okay? And quite often, if you can make either a experience or part of the journey that's usually pretty good significantly better or part of the journey which is really bad, a lot better than bad, right? It's, you know, it's actually really good and enjoyable. It goes a long way on those people staying with you, okay? And one of the metrics that we measure certainly in, in private equity and, and high value businesses is lifetime value. So how long has someone been a client? Because lifetime value, that sort of recurring revenue piece is a huge driver on the multiple. Okay. So, so if you don't, <laughs> the reason I'm going to really drill on this is I know a lot of you aren't doing it. Think about that onboarding process in a bit more detail and think about how you can reconstruct it and make it significantly more memorable for your ideal client, okay? Process seven is delivery, right? So everything up to this point, we haven't even delivered it yet, right? We've, we've made someone aware, we've created leads, we've closed sales, we've, we've delighted them through an onboarding experience, right? And now we have the actual delivery. Now delivery is, I'm not gonna go too deep into this because it's so different. Everyone here has got different businesses. But delivery again should still, you should still have this idea in your mind that how can I delight, right? Amazon's done this brilliantly by the idea that if you want something, you can get in an hour, right? The idea that like, you know, it takes weeks to get something anymore when you order it online is just crazy because Amazon has disrupted the whole market because they've thought about that thing. Well, you know, how can I really, disrupt the market, but how can I delight everyone? And they've said, well, what happens if we take away this pain that happens when people wait for deliveries and we can just get them to get the, the, the product they want, the thing that they've bought, but they're really excited about in real time. Okay. And that's something that's a good example, I think, of what I mean by thinking about these moments that matter all the way through. Okay, so delivery is your process for actually doing the thing, doing the work, delivering the product, delivering the service. Here, you want to look at efficiencies. You want to look at the optics. So you want to look at ways that you can make it, again, a great experience, but also as efficient as possible. All right. Now, in my world, I do a lot of face-to-face consults. I jump on a plane, I fly somewhere, and I have an experience with my clients together in a room for a couple of days. Equally, I also do a lot of online stuff as well, which is super efficient. And I, you know, can flex my pricing because my delivery model changes, okay? And someone who is prepared for me to come over and spend a day with them, you know, they pay me for, more for that than someone who is going to have an online experience. And, and that's great. It means I can serve more people. I can grow my businesses in different ways. But at the same time, I'm being efficient with how I deliver the product, the service, the experience that I can, okay? We're getting there, almost there, right? So core process number eight is upsell and cross-sell. So important. You know, getting someone to buy again or repeatedly buy again increases that lifetime value I mentioned beforehand. So your process here really starts by having an intentional product ecosystem in place. So if you have one product, great. If you have two or three products, even better. If those two or three products are aligned in some way, in other words, once someone has bought your first product, it creates a new problem. So they have to buy another product, et cetera, et cetera. You are going to be increasing 
the amount of money that you make from that individual prospect, but at the same time, you're solving the various problems that come from that experience, okay? So you've got to have that. You've got to have a, a process or a system for cross-sell and upsell, and maybe, again, a way of doing it that is a bit unexpected, okay? Number nine, offboarding. Now, how many, be honest, write this down on your journals or whatever, how many of you have an offboarding process? What? I know, of course not. When someone leaves, I'm annoyed, I'm pissed off. No, 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 no. If a client leaves, make them feel special. Make it again a memorable and valuable experience. Okay, now if someone leaves and they've got an amazing result, if someone leaves working with me because they've solved their business, amazing, right? That, you know, that's the best outcome in the world. But, you know, just because I'm working to that result, doesn't mean that you can't have that in your business too. You don't want people, I mean, if someone leaves because they're annoyed that something didn't work out or whatever, you still should make that offboarding as memorable and as valuable as possible, okay? All I'm asking you to do here is think about it and think, okay, have we got this right? The end-to-end customer journey, I've spent all this money creating awareness and prospecting and getting leads and closing those leads. Have I? Am I dropping the ball at the last moment because that person's not working me anymore. Because remember, if someone's had a great experience with you all the way through, they might leave because circumstances have changed, but they also might come back. They're definitely not going to come back if you don't think through these things and you make you know, the experience at the end of the relationship, you know, dare I say it, terrible. Okay? Last one, core process number 10, ongoing engagement. Okay? You will get a sense from what I've said here today that this is, again, about influencing repeat purchase. It's about lifetime value. It's about making sure that, you know, you have these people, you know, with you for a longer period of time. So just because someone decides not to work for you for a period of time, it doesn't mean, as I said, they're not going to come back again. Okay, so I do this quite a bit. I've had clients who go away, they'll work with me for a period of time, they'll get what they need, they'll take a break because they now want to lock down and implement that work, and then they'll come back, right? And I had one yesterday say to me, actually, he said, like, you know, every time I know that I need someone to come in here and absolutely go deep in our scale-up journey, I know to call you. Okay, perfect. Now, I say all this not to say that my customer journey, the experience that people have with me, my businesses is perfect. It's not. But what I will tell you is this. I am looking at these 10 core processes all the time. I'm working with my team. I even have my creative director go through each of these processes with the idea of how can we improve them? How can we do something here that no one else does, right? That makes the experience just significantly better. And to go back to the point I made before about this is linear, yes, but it's also compounding, is as, you know, I'm starting to think about kind of each of those journeys, the more that I can delight with those moments that matter, the more that I'm building that relationship, that crucial relationship that I want with the ideal person that I can help. Okay, a lot in this, okay, optimizing processes for sales and customer experience, customer journey. It's an important part of scaling and it's certainly an important part of building a high value business. So I'll go through them quickly again and then we'll wrap up. So the first one, process around awareness. Second one, a process around prospecting. Third one, a process around partnerships and referrals. Four, a process around leads, a big one, right? One that you can measure, a really clear journey. Five, a process around appointments and conversion, conversations. Even if you don't have that set up, right, make sure that the conversion experience is strong. 
Okay, a process around onboarding is number six. A process around delivery is number seven. A process around upselling and cross-selling to improve repeat purchase and lifetime value is eight. A process around offboarding, which no one does, is number nine. And number 10, the final process is that ongoing engagement. What can you do to stay top of mind with someone that you've worked with previously with the potential to bring them back? So I hope that is valuable. As I always say, be grateful, be brave, have faith and show up. Bye for now. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me, it helps the show, plus it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show, or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.